Thank you. I'm glad to be back with you at Hope Fellowship. It's always good to be here in this church and uh, always good to be in Waterloo. Although, um, <clears throat> if you had made the weather you have today arrive a couple of days ago, I would have appreciated it more. <laughs> because uh, when I got here, I said, good gracious, I didn't bring a jacket. I didn't know I was going to the winter again. So, um, today's beautiful outside, though, so I've enjoyed the weekend here at the conference, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you this morning as well. It's good to see what the Father is doing in Hope Fellowship Church and in this community and, and in this country. I'm thankful for our team, uh, with Grace Walk Canada, under Mike's leadership, and, uh, and Jen's work. Jen Shaw's hard work as the administrative person. We really appreciate her and all of our team across Canada that uh, that help spread this message. The Re- Grace Walk, you may or may not know, we have offices in seven countries now, in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico and Argentina and El Salvador and Australia uh, and in Pakistan. <clears throat> and then there are a couple of other countries uh, where... Um, it seems very likely we've got we've got workers and leaders there. We've not formally launched launched our uh, ministry in a formal way in these countries, but other places uh, in other parts of the world, Fiji, for instance, uh, Philippines, Thailand. Uh, we've got some things going to. And, and the reason we do this is because this is the message <clears throat> that needs to get out there. there. You know, there's a lot that's being told in the name of God, in the name of Christianity, that is is as far removed from Christianity as you can get. And the sad thing is that the faulty message that's being told, the message of legalism, the message of work your way to God, try harder to do better and ask Him to help you, and He will, uh, that message is perhaps the most poisonous message that you, could, that you could be given. I mean, I would almost rather hear somebody say, there's no God, turn away from God and don't believe in Him. Don't believe that. I'd almost rather hear that than to hear another person say, of course there is a God. God exists and His Son Jesus came for you, but you just need to trust Him and then here's a long list of things you need to do to stay in His good favor. Because you see, the second message is more dangerous because it's subtle, because it affirms the existence of God, but then it lays conditions on us and it changes the nature of that God that it professes so that the God that's presented in that way barely resembles, if it resembles at all, the face of the God that Jesus came to reveal. The God that we know is a God of love. The God Jesus came to reveal is a God of love. And I'll tell you, I've had to come to that place in my life where I irrevocably made the decision to stand on the fact that God is love and to allow nothing to dissuade me from that. I had a lot of questions because I grew up in a mainline evangelical church where I was taught about God's love, that Jesus came and died for me, and that if I would trust Him and believe on Him, I would be saved. All of those things, the underpinning for faith was there, and I'm thankful for my upbringing. But then I was also told that there were certain expectations that were laid upon me and that I had to do those things. God's done His part, but now I have to do my part. And if I did my part, then I would be blessed. But if I didn't do my part, then trouble was going to come. Now, if that sounds reasonable to you, I would respectfully suggest to you that your own thinking has been contaminated with a legalistic mindset. 
Because legalism at its core says that we make spiritual progress or gain God's blessings based on what we do. And I want to tell you that God does not bless you because of what you do. There are blessings in what we do, but the blessings are not the reward that God gives us for doing what he requires of us. The blessing is in doing what is an expression of the life of Christ within us. Grace is very different from legalism because grace is that understanding that God blesses us because we're in Jesus Christ and for no other reason at all. Now, when you understand the latter statement that I've made about grace, you will find that grace will motivate you to live a lifestyle that honors him. The apostle Paul wrote that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and how to live soberly and righteously and just in this present age. Grace teaches us to live a godly life and then motivates us to do it. On the other hand, legalism, which is the idea, again, that you make spiritual progress or gain God's blessings based on what you do, legalism says you have to do more and be better to stay in a good standing with God and to have his blessing in your life. And oddly enough, that approach, not only does it not nurture a godly lifestyle, but according to the Bible in Romans chapter 7 and verse 5, that approach to living uh, in, in, in flames an ungodly lifestyle. For Romans 7, 5, the Bible says sinful passions are aroused by the law. So we stand in grace. And if we can ever relax and nail down that stake and never move from it, use as our benchmark the truth that God is love then that will hold us in good stead in everything that we face. If you believe God is love, then that will give you peace when you don't have all the answers to all the theological questions that you might come across as you read your Bible or talk to other people. When you believe and stand in the fact that God is love, it will equip you for every situation that you face in life. It does not mean that life is pain-free to believe in the love of God. By the Bible says about Jesus himself that he was a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. Jesus spoke the words to his own disciples and said, in the world you'll have much tribulation. But he went on and said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The message of the gospel of the grace of God in terms of our circumstances is not that he will exempt us from painful events or situations. Jesus did not come into this world to insulate us from life and the experiences of humanity. But the message of the gospel is that Jesus comes into this world and stands in solidarity with us in the midst of our pain. And that's what I want to talk to you a little while about today. I want to take a few minutes and speak to you on the subject of the love of God uh, and its application, the application of that love in the trying circumstances of life. Because the reality is all of us know very familiar, are very familiar with and know firsthand what it is to hurt, don't we? to have problems. It might be problems with your finances, or it might be problems with your health, or it might be problems in your marriage, or it might be problems with your children, or it might be problems with addiction, or it might be problems on your job, or it might be problems with your government, or it might be... Where do we end? There is no end to problems in life. And every one of us are very, very familiar with what it means to hurt. And if you've lived more than just a few years in this world, if you've moved well into your adult life, you have lived long enough to know what it means not only to hurt, but to hurt terribly. To hurt in such a way that you wonder how you're going to get through it, how you're going to survive it. But I'll tell you, there is a message, 
And there is a hope in the midst of our pain. There is a hope in the midst of the darkness, and that hope is the light of the world. That hope is the love of God, not insulating and not necessarily delivering us instantly out of our painful circumstances, but instead standing with us in the midst of our circumstances and holding us in his arms and saying, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. I know exactly what it is to hurt because I am a man. And not only did I live 33 years on this planet, but I live in this world right now in you. And Jesus wants you to know something today. Now, hear what I'm about to say because this may be the most prophetic and powerful words I'll speak this morning. Jesus wants you to know that your hurt is his hurt. Your pain is his pain. He's not standing apart from you looking into your situation saying, there, there, I know it hurts. I can understand it must hurt to be where you are. The tears that roll down your cheeks are the very tears of Jesus because he lives in union with us and that which hurts us hurts him. And you say, but he's Jesus. He knows the ultimate outcome. That doesn't distance or remove him in any sense of the word from the reality of the pain that you feel in the present moment. When Jesus stood in, at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11, and he, knowing full well that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, the shortest verse of the Bible, everybody knows the shortest verse of the Bible, when he saw all the people standing around grieving and crying and sad about the death of Lazarus, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. He cried, even though he knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, dead, the Bible says he cried. I want to talk to you about how to move through the difficult and challenging times of life today and how to stand strong in the midst of things that seem like they will destroy you. Because if you're not there, you've been there in the past. You're, I, I can almost tell you that in the group like this, everybody here is either just getting over a problem and you hope it's done, you hope it's behind you, or you're just moving into a, or, or, or you're just moving into a problem and you're terrified because of what your imagination is telling you could happen, or you're in the midst of a problem, and you're thinking, dear God in heaven, how will we get through this? That's, that's called life. That's called living in this world. It's, un, it's inescapable. It's not because you've done something wrong. The problem you have is not because you've done something wrong. It's not God punishing you. Get that notion out of your mind altogether. In the world, you have tribulation. You know, I, I live part of the time down in Florida, and when you, when you go into the Gulf of Mexico, you're going to get wet. When you, in fact, when you live in Florida, the humidity is so high, you're going to get wet. You don't even have to go in the Gulf of Mexico. Sometimes you don't have to go into the water. Water comes finding, comes looking for you with the humidity. And, and that's the way it is. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, you remember how it was when I was in Asia. He said, you remember the affliction that came to me. And I, I, I thought his choice of words was interesting. The affliction that came to me when I was in Asia. You don't go looking for trouble, but sometimes trouble comes looking for you. But the grace of God is there with you and in you to sustain you in it. One of the biblical examples, and there are many we could look at, but one that I think gives the uh, template for the truth I want to share with you today uh, about how to survive, not only survive, but how to move through your problems and trials and, and come out the better on the other end for it is the account in the last uh, book of the Bible uh, about John the Apostle. John the Apostle, as you know, lived on the Isle of Patmos, and he was exiled there. He lived there alone. He was sent there to live out his days alone as punishment for the proclamation of the gospel. And while John was on an isle called Patmos, uh, the Bible says that he was one day on, on, on the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He was worshiping. 
And the scripture tells, and John describes, how he saw something that was staggering, something that would forever change his perspective. He saw a lesson. He learned a lesson that would speak to him in his tragic and difficult circumstance. And it's the same lesson that can sustain us in our trials. Here's the way he described it in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He said, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet, was speaking with me and said, Come up hither, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one was sitting on the throne. And so John saw that portal between the temporal dimension and the eternal world opened, and when he looked through the opening, the portal between time and eternity, I suppose when he first looked through that portal, there was nothing but resplendent, brilliant glory coming from there. But as his eyes adjusted and he was able to clearly see and make sense of what he was looking at, he tells us that the very first thing he saw in heaven, Saul, when he looked into heaven, was a throne, and somebody was sitting on that throne. Now, it's those two facets of what he saw that I want to talk to you about for a while. The throne and, what he, and who he saw sitting on the throne. Now, two things I'll say today in regard to our problems and how we are to live in the midst of them. One, we need to understand that there is a supernatural reality around us. There's a supernatural reality around us at all times. You know, there's a lot of uh, scientific advance that, that has been made in the last hundred years through quantum physics. I don't know if you've done much reading or study on the existence of, of, of particles in waveform, and they exist in potentia, it's called, and, and they've done studies, replicated the study again and again, that when something is observed, the wave collapses into a particle and it manifests. This world that you live in is a manifestation of an infinite world. This world that you live in is a momentary manifestation of an infinite world. It won't be here forever. In fact, any given particle, if you take an electron microscope and zoom in closer and closer and you magnify more and more and more and you get down to the atomic level and then you move down to the subatomic level and you get down to the level of almost a quarks, you get to a place that is so infinitesimally small that the scientists tell us that the matter that is left appears to pop in and out of existence. It's there and it's not there. It'll appear here and then it'll disappear and appear over there. They say everything exists in potentia and that it just manifests. It's what you see is the manifestation of energy all around you. But the energy is not matter. Energy manifests as matter. But the energy exists in that world that you can't see with the human eye. There is a world beyond this physical world. And that world is the one that I want us to direct our attention to today. Because when John looked through that door and saw the throne and someone sitting on it, suddenly he realized, if he hadn't before, and of course he had, but he realized that there was more to life than the cactus and scorpions and sand that he was sleeping in and around. Because the circumstances in which he lived were very unpleasant circumstances. I mean, he was sleeping on a des deserted island. A dry, deserted island. But now, 
For the first time, he was able to look through the door and see beyond the bounds of his physical location, and he was able to see his authentic and true and eternal home. And seeing that home and seeing who was there and what was there made all the difference in the world because what John saw was that he's not just living in a temporal world, but he's living in a timeless world. He was living in a transcendent world at the same time. It's not like one day you leave this temporal world and you're going to go to heaven. It's not like that at all. This temporal world in which we live is already engulfed and swallowed up in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is among you. Now, you're not able to see it with your physical eyes. Our senses don't allow us to do that. We can only see it through the eyes of faith because our physical senses can't. It's a disconnect. It's like trying to tune into an AM uh, radio station when the only thing I have is an FM receiver. You can't see it. Right now, if I had the receiver, I could show you. I could prove to you if I only had the receiver right here with me up on this platform. I could prove to you that right now that there is boxing going on in this room, that right now there is soccer being played in this room, that right now there are bad good guys shooting at bad guys and bad guys shooting at good guys. I could, I could show you people kissing on this stage. I could show you people fighting. I could show you all kinds of things that are going on right now. You can't see it, but I could show it to you if I just had the television receiver hooked up. And that TV receiver would pick up the signals of everything I've just told you. All I had to do is change the channels. And what I would show you would be what's all around you in the, in the signals that move through us right now. Oh, I could put on all kinds of music from around the world. There's, there's all kinds of things going on right here around us right now that we can't see with our eyes. Well, I want to tell you there is an eternal dimension, and you and I are living in that eternal dimension right now. I tell you plainly, if you had eyes to see you would see supernatural things around you right now because there is a supernatural reality around us. And for a little while, John was able to see it, and he realized, I'm not just living in a temporal world. I'm living in a transcendent world. There's an eternal world that is around me, and I'm just not able to see it, but I know it. I know it. And if we know it and fully believe it, then we will find peace in the temp temporal world that we, in which we live because we know that the temporal world is just a blip. I mean, think of it. How long are you going to be here? 80 or 100 years? I've often said to my family that my goal is to live to 80. And some of you may think, well, 80, that's pretty young to give up on life. I didn't say I'm giving up, but I'm saying if I live to 80, I don't know any other man in my family that's ever lived that long. So it's not a modest goal for me. <laughs> the Lord wants to give me more time, well, okay, but I'm just saying. So how long are you going to be here? 80 years? 100 years? I mean, what is that? That's just a blip. That's just a, that's just a, the, the, just a, a flash on the screen of eternity. We're here for a short time, and if we want to have peace in this world, we need to have a vision that is greater than what's in our immediate uh, surroundings. That We need to have a vision of what exists beyond the temporal world. We need to see the transcendent world and realize there is an eternal world, and it's when we see that, and I don't mean with our eyes, but with our hearts, when we see it and believe it, and we understand the truth of who exists and what exists and, and what's happening from there, that's where we find peace in this world. The Apostle Paul said it like this. 
In 2 Corinthians 4.18, he said, We don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Paul was saying the same thing John did. Paul said, and John both said, there's a world in which you live that you can't see with your physical eyes. The question is, in which life are we, in which area or perception of reality are we absorbed? If your focus is only on the temporal world, you're suffering from short-sightedness. And what we need to do is look beyond the temporal world. Using the lens of faith, look beyond our temporary circumstances and see that there is another world. Because I want to tell you something, rarely do we find lasting peace in the natural world. But there is a supernatural reality around us. And that transcendent world actually dominates the temporal world. That's what we need to understand. That transcendent world is where we find our real home. John said, I looked in heaven and there was a throne and someone was sitting on it. I want to tell you the one who was sitting on it is none other than the Lord God who is love himself. The one who is at the source of all things that exist, both in transcendence and in temporal perception, is the God who is love. Our residence in this physical world, this space-time dimension, is temporary, but our residence in that spiritual world is eternal. It will never end. And when we get the long look instead of the short look, that will begin to bring peace to us because we realize that there's a throne in heaven and somebody sitting on it, and that that throne and the place where that throne exists is our home. The enemy steals our peace when he causes us to look away from that open door in eternity and become fixated on the temporal circumstances of life. There's a biblical example in the Old Testament of this, the two ways you could choose to live, either looking at the temporal or the transcendent. Second Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. I'll read it to you from the message. I love the way Eugene Peterson renders this story. One time when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, after consulting with his officers, he said, at such and such a place, I want an ambush set. So the holy man sent a message to the king of Israel and said, watch out when you're passing that place because Aram has set an ambush there. So the king of Israel sent word concerning the place of which the holy man had warned him. This kind of thing happened all the time. The king of Aram was furious over all this, and he called his officers together and said, tell me, who's leaking this information to the king of Israel? Who's the spy in our ranks? One of his men said, nobody, master. Dear king, it's not any of us. It's Elisha the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel everything you say, even when you whisper it in your bedroom. Aram wanted to take, he wanted to take his army and kill him. So the king said, go find out where he is, and I'll send somebody and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. So he dispatched his horses and chariots, an impressive fighting force, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Early in the morning... The servant of the holy man got up and went out. And surprise, horses and chariots surrounding the city. And the young man explained, Master, Master, what will we do? And he, Elisha, said, Don't worry about it. They're more on our side than on their, our, their side. And then Elisha prayed, Oh God, open his eyes and let him see. And the eyes of the young man were opened and he saw a wonder. The whole mountainside was full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. There were two people in the exact same situation. The enemy king had sent his army, and when the servant woke up, he walked, got up out of his temporal bed, and he walked on his temporal feet outside to pump water from the temple, temporal well, and he looked across and he saw the army of the enemies all around them, and his heart stopped because all 
he could see was what he had the ability to see with his physical eyes. And because all the information that he possessed at that moment was what his physical senses gave to him, he did what anybody would do. He processed and interpreted that, and he came to the conclusion, we got trouble. We got big trouble. And so he runs back into Elisha, but Elisha has learned to live beyond the temporal. Elisha has walked with God enough to understand the transcendent reality of life and to know that things are not as they appear and to know that there's more to the story than what you're able to see on the surface. And so Elisha said to him, calm down, calm down. What do you mean calm down, he says. Elisha said, calm down, we outnumber them. And the serpent, ser, serpent, servant, <laughs> the serpent was informing the servant. <laughs> the servant said to Elisha, there's an army out there. And Elisha said, we outnumber them. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say this, but I can only imagine the servant must have thought to himself, dear Lord in heaven, it's not enough I've got an army about to come down and kill us. Now the master's gone crazy. <laughs> He's lost his mind. But then Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And he put his arm around the servant and said, come over here and look. And the servant looked outside, and for the first time, he looked beyond the temporal, and he saw the transcendent. And he saw what the Bible says, a host of angels of the Lord encamped all around about them. And suddenly... The only thing that changed was his perspective because the angels had been there all along. But when he first went out, all he saw was the temporal. But when he changed and began to see not from the temporal vantage point, but from the transcendent vantage point, though nothing had actually changed because it had always been that way, what changed was his perspective. And in that change, everything changed. Listen to me to Dear friends, you may not be able to change the situation. And you may cause yourself needless pain. You can get, you can drive your health into the ground trying to change the situation. You may never be able to change that. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying it's possible that you might not ever be able to change the situation. You don't know if you can or can't, but I'll tell you one thing. You can change your perspective. You can't affect how other people behave. You can't control what unfolds in life. But you can be very proactive about how you respond to what happens in life. You're not strapped to a plank coming down the river about to go over Niagara Falls. That is not your life, though it may feel like it. But there is one who is the captain of your salvation. And you need to look to him Change your perspective. Look beyond what you can see. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your roots are in heaven at this very moment. And your sense of peace will come as it did for John by looking through the open door and seeing the throne in heaven and the one sitting on it. Don't look to find peace and contentment in the things that are going on around you in this temporal world because it's not there. And if you think it's there, trust me, it's only there for a short time and then it's going to disappear like a mirage. You can't hold to that. The very thing you think you can hold to in this world, it can go away. 
Your money can go away. Your mate can go away through death or divorce. Your children can go away. Your health can go away. Anything that you hold to in this world can go away. But there is one who I promise you, and better yet, he promises you, will never go away. So cling to him. Cling to him. Look beyond what you can see in the temporal world and look through the doorway and see the transcendent world and understand there is a supernatural reality around us. It's not just what you can see with your eyes. There's a bigger reality. Believe it. Believe it. But John said not only did he see the throne, there's the evidence of the supernatural reality, but he said but one was sitting on it. Someone was sitting on it. So there's a person. So life isn't just unfolding willy-nilly. It's not just the random uh, uh, emergence of of circumstances that are going on in this life. But on that throne in the transcendent world that supersedes the temporal world, there is a person who sits. So there's a supernatural reality around us, but the fact that someone was sitting on that throne tells me that there's a sovereign ruler over us. Somebody is overseeing, superintending this life. Now, I get... I don't know why it's become vogue these days, but I get emails often and get contacts from people who are troubled when they hear me talk about a sovereign God. And in the way that many of them understand sovereignty, I can understand their trouble because some people think that when you say there is a sovereign ruler over us, that we mean that there is some sort of despot who sits on the throne and who by coercion and force and manipulation dominates and overcomes anything that we want to do down here in this world and that basically we're marionette puppets that he makes do what we want. I'm not talking about that. In fact, I had this conversation with a friend just this week, and I asked the friend, I said, let me ask you this question. I said, do you believe that in the end, God gets his way? And the person responded, this is a dear friend. And my friend responded, I believe love wins. And I said, I do too. God is love. I do too. Love wins. And love doesn't have to win through uh, overt coercion and manipulation and a autocratic style. Love wins through the gentle, forward-moving, nudging, orchestrating movement of life to ensure that at the end of the day, God, good, the transcendent world is triumphant. The cockroaches don't win down in Florida (laughs) where I live. They don't win. (laughs) They try, but they don't. And I'll tell you the cockroaches of evil that exist on this globe right now, or let's take it from the macroscopic and bring it down to the microscopic life where you and I live. The cockroaches of evil circumstance, painful events that happen in our lives, they don't win in the end. They don't win because there's a throne in heaven. John said, I saw a throne and someone was sitting on it. The events of your life are not unfolding by random chance. There's somebody who stands over you, and that somebody is love. That's, listen, listen, if we do not believe that there is a sovereign ruler over us who is motivated by nothing but, humil- but a love expressed through humility, then how in the world can you honestly tell anybody all things work together for good to them that love the Lord? If you don't believe that love gets the final word, if you don't believe there's a sovereign ruler, what, by what authority do you tell me all things can work together for good to those that love the Lord? 
I know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord because I know the one who's, do, who's in charge, who stands over it all. Again, not in an autocratic, heavy-handed way, but in a loving way. He stands over it all. John said somebody was sitting on it. Take note that when John saw this one in heaven at the throne, he wasn't standing. He was sitting. And the reason he was sitting is because it is finished. The work has been done. And we won because we're in him. Believe me, all of heaven isn't holding its breath, waiting to see things ha- turn out in the, how things turn out in the end. We're, we're, we're not at the bottom of the ninth inning in baseball with all the bases loaded and the enemy's home run slugger is now up to bat. The fact is, in the transcendent world, the headlines have already been written and they read, God wins. God wins. He has it all worked out. There are a lot of ups and downs and detours. There's a lot of pain along the way. But we must know that in the end, the one who is love, the one who is that ruler that sits on the throne is not baffled or troubled by unknown variables that take place in this world so that he's constantly reacting by trying to put out fires that human beings keep stopping, starting. God doesn't react. He only acts. And I tell you that whatever you're facing today, he is above it. Love engulfs you. Love immerses the circumstance you're in. Nothing can happen independent of his sovereign, loving rule. Why does God allow these events that seem so horrible? Well, may I say, I've asked him that. I've asked him that. I've asked him that about my life. I've asked him that about my world. And you know what answer he gave me? I said, why do you do this? Why do you not do you do it? I mean, why do you do this? I mean, why do you let this happen? Why do you let this happen? My question began with why. And the answer that he gave me to why was, I said, why? Why? Don't you hate it when that happens? But in his kindness, he drew my thought and my attention toward his face. And he gently reminded me that the more appropriate question is, who? Who? Who loves you, Steve? Who's in control? Who's on the throne? Or as he said to Job, who set the stars in the skies and told them, stay there? Who drew a line in the sand of the beach and said to the water, you can come this far, then you have to turn around and go back? Who created the sun? Who put the moon there and said, now don't fall down? Who? It's a who. We're asking the wrong question. We want to know why, 
Well, we need to be saying who? Because I'll tell you the answer is in the person of divine love. A God who is love. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. I remember one night, and I'm just being very transparent with you now. I remember one night, my wife has rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know if you know anybody that's had that or if you have it. I don't know, but it can be grueling. My wife's been under the care of pain management doctors for years. And sometimes it's particularly bad. When she has a flare-up, it's particularly bad. And there's only so much you can do, only so much medicine you can take, only so much you can do. And then it is what it is. And one night, one night, my wife was writhing in the bed in pain. Tears were, were streaming down her cheeks. She couldn't be still. It was hellacious. Under any other circumstance, somebody that didn't know better would have thought, I need to get her to the emergency room. But I'd done that over the years, and I knew there was nothing they would do or could do at the emergency room. There was nothing to do. And so I just began to pray for her. I had held her in my arms, and then I literally got up, and I walked around to the other side of the bed and stood beside her side of the bed, and I laid my hand on her head, and I began to pray for her. And I began to ask the Lord to cause the pain to subside. And I watched her quivering and hurting and tears streaming down her cheeks. And she's a strong person. She takes pain well. I've told her many times, I said, if I had that, you'd find me in the prenatal position lying in the corner 90% of the time. But she'll get up and go. And some of you know my wife. You wouldn't know she ever had that kind of thing going on in her life because she doesn't show it. But I prayed for her and I laid hands on her and I was calling on the name of Jesus, and I was doing everything I knew how to do. I was praying in a liturgical tone, and then I would go into my charismatic mode, and then I would act like a Baptist, and I was, if I'd had rosary beads, I'd have pulled them out of the drawer. I, <laughs> I, I was trying to cover every base, you know what I'm saying? Anything that might help, I was there. And in my exasperation, I finally just stopped. And I'm being honest. I'm not proud of it, but I'm just telling you the truth. I stopped. I took my hand down and I looked up to heaven and I said, Why won't you do something? Why won't you do something? I said, Do I love her more than you do? I can't stand this. How can you sit there and watch this and do nothing? And tears were streaming down my cheeks. I stormed out of the room. I told him. <laughs> uh, the next day I said to Melanie, I said, Melanie, sorry about last night. I said, I know I was acting like an idiot. I said, but I guess you know two things for sure. Number one. You know how much I love you. And I said, number two, you know how plain spoken I can be with God in certain moments. And my wife said, <laughs> she said, when you did that, she said, I could almost see him just kind of snicker and shake his head and say, go ahead, Steve, get it out of your system. <laughs> 
Now, I know there are those that say, you shouldn't talk to God that way. And I'm not saying I should, but what I'm saying is two things. Number one, I haven't arrived. <laughs> I hadn't crossed the finish line either. I'm still a work in process. And number two, to be honest with you, I don't know how I can, ha- I'm just speaking for me, but I just don't know how to have an intimate relationship with anybody without being free to express what I really feel sometime. And thank God, his love and his strength and his goodness is big enough to absorb my stupidity. <laughs> And if I want to pitch a temper tantrum, I'm not saying I ought to do it, but if I do, he's big enough to handle that too. But my mind did go back to something that the Lord had told me years earlier when I was grappling with theology, theological problems, not circumstantial, but theological problems. And I said, why don't you make this where I can understand it? If you want people to understand this, why didn't you make it easier? And I was frustrated with the Lord that night, not circumstantially, but theologically. But the Lord gave me an answer on that night about theology that fits circumstances too. And here's what he said. He spoke very clearly. And I'm not one of these that goes around saying, God told me this today and God told me that light was going to be green. And God told me that there'd be a table over here at Jack's when I walked in and I wouldn't have to wait. No, I'm not one of those. I'm not. I mean, if some people are like that, more power to them. Get me the green lights if you got that power, because I, I, for some reason it didn't work for me. But anyway, but that night the Lord did speak to me. I said, why don't you make this simpler? Why don't you make this easier? And he spoke to me, and I'll I'll never forget it. I've told it many times because it had such an impact in my life. He said, Steve, I am not a puzzle to be solved. I am a mystery to be explored. And what I gained from that is the understanding that I'll never in this life fully understand the ways of God. Because his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. There's only one who understands the thoughts and ways of the Father, and that is the Son. Jesus says, nobody knows the Father but me. But he does reveal him to us, but he reveals us to, him to us incrementally. So as we grow in grace and the knowledge of our God, we learn more and more about him. But the point being that we don't have to understand. And so when you're in your situation... When you're in your situation, whether it was John on Patmos or whether it's me praying for my wife in her pain or whether it's whatever it is that you're dealing with right now, when you're in your situation, don't try to understand because most of the time we can't understand. We just can't. So the answer then is not in trying, but the answer is in trusting. Just trust God that he's with you in the midst of it. How many times have we said, if I could just know why, if I could just understand? But let me tell you, one of the most ancient stories, and perhaps the most ancient story in all of the Bible, is about a man who dealt with those very feelings. His name was Job. The oldest book of the Bible is Job. And in Job chapter 23, in the midst of his hell on earth, Job prayed and he said this in in Job 23. He said, my complaint is bitter. I try hard not to groan aloud. I'm reading now the first 10 verses of Job 23. Job said, I'm trying not to groan aloud. If I only knew where I could find God. I'd go to his court. I'd lay out my case and present my arguments. And then I'd listen to what he had to say and understand what he'd say to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No. He'd give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him, so I would forever be acquitted by him. But I go east, and he's not there. I go west, but I can't find him. I don't see him in the north, for he's hidden. I look to the south, but he's concealed. You see what Job was saying? If I could just make sense out of this. I'd like to talk to God about it, but it looks like he's gone on vacation. 
Because I look over here and he's not here and I look over there and he's not there and I look back here and he's not there. If I could find him, I'd talk to him and get some answers, but he's not talking. He's not talking. Nine verses, he goes on and on like that. And then in the 10th verse, he says, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I'll come out like pure gold. In verse 10, Job said, but he knows. He knows. So for nine verses, Job says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't understand. What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? How can I handle this? How can we bring it to an end? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Nine verses. And then in verse 10 he says, but he knows. And do you know when the Bible gives the summation of Job's life at the end and God speaks about the life of Job, the Scripture says about Job and all these things that he went through, he never sinned with his words. Says he never sinned with his words. So apparently, whether it's Job or whether it's Steve standing by the bedside of his wife, God is okay with us expressing our authentic pain and the feelings that we have. But listen, let's be sure that in the midst of that, we add the reality of our faith to say, I don't know, but he does. It may not make sense. I may be angry. I may be upset. I may be confused. But he knows. He understands. I find comfort in the fact that out of ten verses, nine of, nine of the verses, he's complaining. Uh, well, so let's put it this way. I can, I, I can always say, oh, yeah, what about Job? Because 90% of the time in those ten verses, he was grappling and moaning and whining and complaining, and only 10% of the time did he show his faith. <laughs> so I... I think it's safe to say, we're good. (laughs) Just hold on to your faith in Christ. Just hold on to him. He knows where you are. He knows where you're going. John looked through and saw home. It's home because we're already there. We, We can't perceive it with our physical sensory abilities, but we're there in some way that defies our Uh, the ability of our human minds to grasp. You and I are already seated with Christ in the heavens, and this is a done deal, and it's all okay. It's all okay. When we experience the rhythm of His grace in our daily lives, it permeates our existence, and I'm not saying it makes it easy. But is it true that this world is not my home and I'm just passing through? If it is true, then let's find peace in the one who sits on the throne during this brief stopover in this place called life, called planet Earth. Look through the open door and recognize that the divine lover is sitting on the throne and love oversees you at every moment. You believe what we sing? Did you grow up singing it? Do you believe it? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that kept me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Is that true? Tell me it's true. I need to hear it. I need to hear it. Is that true? true. You need to hear it too, so I'm going to tell you. 
is true. Let's bow our heads. God, this better be true. Because it's all we've got to count on. But we are counting on it. We're depending on it. We're leaning into it. We're believing it. The storm may come. And I don't have the faith to say I'm going to walk on water. Because I've seen too many people drown who said they could walk on water. But I know one thing, Father. Whatever any of us face in this life, you're in it with us. And you're never going to leave us. You're never going to abandon us to it. But you'll go through it with us, with your arm wrapped around us. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of many, many in this room who need to see this right now and allow us to look beyond the temporal and show us an open door in heaven. Don't just convince us in our minds because that can take, be taken away from us later. Rationale does it. We need more than that because we can doubt what we think we know in a moment. But show us. Show us. Make it real to us. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to look through the eyes of faith, the eyes of your heart, and I want you to see it. Look through right now. See it. Look through from this dimension into the other dimension, into the transcendent life, which is your real life, and see it. There's a loving God who has his arms wrapped around you, and he says to you these words, Shh, it's okay. It's okay. Peace be unto you. I'm with you. And I'll never leave you or forsake you. As our confession of faith, let's end singing that little verse again together. Let's end it with this confession of faith. If you believe it, join me singing it. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come tis grace get get me safe thus far and grace will lead me home you know what that shows even an imperfect execution of faith is good enough amen Amen. God bless you.